Well, welcome. You know, when Fussy and I first started the church during August, we used to just shut down. There was nobody there except us and the kids. And, uh, you know, it's so wonderful. We were driving in this morning, and as we approached the, uh, the end of the estate, there's cars queuing up to turn in. I mean, numbers are down. It's the holiday season. But just look at us. You know, what, what has God done? It's just been fabulous. Give the Lord another round of applause. So, uh, Felicity and I have retired. Uh, <laughs> we're retired now, aren't we? <laughs> Just say that, sort of, with gay, the old-fashioned uh, interpretation of the word. Gay abandon. <laughs> yeah, not very good at that. <laughs> I prefer power evangelism. Um, and so, you know, what have we been doing? Well, we've been doing a number of things, but big news is that we've got a puppy Everybody go, ah. That's why I've got all these bite marks up my arm. And I tell you, you know, it's, I forgot. You know, Fliss made me get this puppy. It really was, uh, <laughs> whoops. Uh, Fliss made me get this puppy. And it's a, what is it, a cavadoodle. Cavoodle. A caboodle or something. I know it's a lot of work. I mean, oh gosh, you know, the... The busyness, the, the sleepless nights, the constant demand for food and attention. I know what you ladies are thinking, that sounds like my husband. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, no, he's an absolute sweetie pie, he's called Monty. That's the family dog's name when I was a kid, and of course it was after General Montgomery, and so, uh, you know, he's an absolute sweetheart. Maybe I'll bring him to church one, one, when Mark's away on holiday again. <laughs> You know, I'll bring the dog. Okay. One of the things that uh, hasn't stopped for us, and you'll be pleased to know this, and I'm pleased myself, to be perfectly honest, is that my daily disciplines have been retained. And, you know, I often wondered, having been a minister for 40-odd years, did I go to God every day and cry to him just because I had work to do and I had a word to do and all this kind of stuff? Was I a professional Christian? What was it? What was it like when I didn't have to do that? Well, I'm, I can honestly say God has done a work in me because all of that stays the same. I've been reading and studying and praying just because he is worthy and just because I want to. And uh, so when Mark asked me to do a little talk this August, I, there was something brewing. And, and this From Me To You series is about us sharing what we feel God is saying to us at the moment. And so this is, for me, this talk is very much a work in progress. I wouldn't, if, if I get to preach it again in, in a few months' time, it might have refined some, but this is, for me, what God is saying to me at the moment. And it's, it's a word for myself, very much a word for myself, but I think it's also a word for the church and a word, and in some sense, a commentary on what God is doing in the church at the moment. So, so forgive me if it's a bit raggy, but I hope and pray, please, Lord, that you'll catch at least a glimpse of what I think God is, is saying to me, maybe even us. So this talk, then, is called The Forgotten Father. The Forgotten Father. And uh, my old uh, mentor and lecturer at, at a theological college was a guy called Tom Smale in the day. He was very well known. And he wrote a book called The Forgotten Father. This isn't that, but you might 
well like to read that if you can dig it out. This is really about something the Lord was speaking, has been speaking to me about, about aspects of him that I have either not known about, not appreciated, or forgotten. Let me try and give an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. Uh, I have a, my oldest friend is probably my old music and drama teacher. I've mentioned him once before, a guy called Michael Lewis. He's well into his 80s now. So I've known him probably longer than any other living human being, apart from my sister. And uh, when I was at school, my father, when I was at secondary school, my father died, and uh, he uh, befriended both me and my mother and was a great support. And we've remained friends ever since. And I try and go and see him, you know, uh, once a year, if not more. And, uh, and yet I know exactly, and Fliss will know what I'm about to say, exactly what we'll talk about, exactly what he'll say to me, exactly, you know, what I expect him to do. And it's really based on his seeing me as a 12, 13-year-old schoolboy. Now, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm actually 65. <laughs> Moving swiftly on then, there was a time when people would go, no, that's incredible. Now it's, hmm, yeah. <laughs> you are so naughty. But every time I go down there, isn't this true, darling? It, it's, so we talk about school. The headmaster, Mr. Riley, we talk about... Uh, him having a difficult time, Mr. Riley having a difficult time. But uh, Michael will always say, oh, but he meant well, he meant well, he meant well. And, uh, you know, even though I've got married, even though I've had kids, even though I've now got seven grandkids, now that's worthy of woo. Woo, thank you. It's still like I'm 12 years old with him. And I have to kind of brace myself because although for years I didn't mind, it's kind of like... Do you know, Michael, I really am genuinely fond of you. I genuinely like your company. I wish we could kind of get to know each other again. I wish we could redefine how we know one another. Because I'm sure there are things in your life, and certainly there are things in my life that I'd love to share with you. But we have this kind of, I don't know, glass ceiling or a wall or something like that a line we don't cross because you're always relating to me as a 12-year-old schoolboy. It's all schoolboy jokes about custard and, you know, you know, plimsolls. Anybody know what a plimsoll is? Thank you, yeah. You know, it, 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 it. And I love it and I love him, but it's, we're stuck there. Now, I think what the Lord is speaking to me about is, is the Lord just saying, you know what, Chris? I know you need a loving father. I know you need me to embrace you. I know that you need to know my comfort, my provision, my care, my protection, my oversight. And believe me, that's what I want to do. But do you think, after 40 years a minister, 50 as a Christian, we might move on and get to know each other again? And as the Lord's been speaking to me about that, particularly during the summer, 
a summer in which where we've been positioning ourselves, where we've been learning about God through the names of God, where Mark, quite rightly so, is pressing us and encouraging us to, to, you know, to press into God in order to position us for this move of God. The Lord's been speaking to me about getting to know in a different way. In all of this, I'm always on the lookout and listening for what I call the whispers of God, not a, an original thing. I think the little whispers of God thing might come up. The whispers of God. No. It was going to be very professional, but no, we'll stick with it. <laughs> That's great. Um, and anyway, the whispers of God, what I mean by the whispers of God. Matt, can we have the whispers of God up on the screen? Sorry, it's bothering me. Thank you. What I mean about the whispers of God is that God speaks to me loudly as he does you through the word. God speaks to me loudly through worship and through the preach. And didn't Denise do a great job last weekend? Give Denise a little clap, you know. But also, you have to learn as you go on with God to, to listen out for the whispers, those little promptings. You know what I mean? Those little promptings, those little things that you almost miss. And it keeps, I think the Lord does it deliberately to keep you on your toes, to keep you listening, to straining your ears above the hubbub and all the noise and the pressing, uh, the pressing issues of the day. He causes you to listen at the whispers of God. And I found that very often in the whispers of God, if I listen carefully and listen out to God, I will catch something of the, what they call the rhema word, the present thing that God is wanting to say and do. And so we were on holiday. We went out to visit the family in Nashville. You know, some of our kids live out there. And uh, on the very first day, pretty jet lag we were, lovely morning. Uh, our family had work to do, so Fliss and I took ourselves off into, the rural, into rural Tennessee. And uh, we came across this little village called Leaper's Fork. And uh, very small, uh, mostly little gift shops, tea shops. Um, you know, the odd restaurant and what have you, no more than 10, 15 buildings tops. And so we pulled over there and we, we wandered around and we went into one little gift shop and I loved it because it was a bloke's tea sh uh, a gift shop. You know, it, it was lots full of blokey things, you know, and, and you don't generally see, I mean, guys, if you've been on holiday with your wives and you get dragged into a, uh, a you know what I mean, you're nodding, yeah. So this was a bloke's gift shop, you know, and there were, you know, cigar cutters and leather belts and, you know, humifors, whatever, humifers or something. And, and there were, you know, walking sticks and little tools that are very complicated and you don't know what they do. But, you know, it was absolutely great. And I'm wandering around and I suddenly see this little, what I thought was a journal. And, you know, I like to do a bit of journaling, and I picked it up, and it was entitled The Valley of Vision. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting, and I opened it up, and I started to read. It looked like a daily devotional, and then I realized it was a, a sort of a Christian devotional thing, and I'm dipping into it, and it's sort of, sort of Shakespearean language. I would read you some, but I forgot my glasses, but it doesn't matter, and uh, so I'm looking at these things, and I think, oh, gosh, that's really rather interesting, and I thought, whisper of God. 
First Emma holidays, you know, could do with a little new reading, daily devotional. I may be stupid, but I'm not that stupid. So I look at this thing, and then I'm thumbing through, and I just look at the preface, and it's, uh, the preface is by a guy called Reverend Arthur Bennett. I thought, well, that sounds very English. Canon of St. Albans Cathedral, England. I said, Lord, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not that stupid, really, am I? And it turns out he was the vicar at St. Paul's, which is the Anglican church, about 200 yards. So I've gone all the way to Tennessee, to a rural village called Leaper's Fork, to pick up a book written by a bloke from St. Paul's. Okay, so I better buy it. Anyway, so I bought this thing, and uh, it turns out that Arthur Bennett, he died in the sort of 80s, but he was a great scholar, actually, a lecturer, uh, and he in particular had an interest in Puritan writing. This, this is a collection of Puritan devotions and prayers. Now, the moment you say Puritan to me, and I've done theology, but the moment you say Puritan, uh, I've got a bit of a, whoa. In fact, I don't know whether it still is, but if somebody said to me, you're so puritanical, that wouldn't be a compliment. That would actually be a, a bit of a, an edgy insult. You know what I mean? How many people know what I mean? Oh, some of you do. Great, good. The older ones do. If somebody ever says you're puritanical, it means you know, you're a bit of a stickler for law and judgment and all the rest of it. And so, probably, if I'd read that first, I would have put the book down. Oh, well, that's nice, that's interesting. But because the Lord, this little whisper of God, which actually turned out to be like you know, a great big uh, sign, prompted me to buy this thing. I bought this thing, and so ever since then, I've been reading a, at least one a day, treating it like a devotional. Incidentally, I did ask Penny, where's Penny? There's Penny, who does a wonderful job with her team managing our bookstore. I did ask her to get two or three copies in, only two or three. This won't be for everyone, but if you're hungry for something more and are curious as to what God might, you know, what else God might be saying, you might like to whip along to the bookshop and, and get the two or three copies we've got. Um, but <clears throat> basically, what the Puritans, and basically they were a 16th century movement, 16th through to the 19th century, really. They got that name because fundamentally they believed that the Reformation had not gone far enough. Elizabeth I, when she came into power, was concerned about the you know, the animosity between Roman Catholics and uh, Protestants. Uh, Protestant, of course, means protester. They were protesting against the, the old church. And so she brought in what they called the Act of Uniformity so that basically you could believe what you like in your own home and a man's conscience with regards to faith, as she said, was no business of hers. So let's stop all this sort of burning people at the stake and hunting people down. But the state religion would be the new 
Church of England. Now, the protesters, the Protestants, the Puritans, they were upset about that because they felt that there was still far too much of the old Catholicism in religion in that day. And so from then on, um, the, dis- the, the, pro- the, the protesters, uh, the dissenters as they were sometimes known, uh, evangelical Anglicans, all came together under this Puritan mu- movement. And they had a reputation in the wider community of being very judgmental. Now that, I've come to realize, is grossly unfair. Grossly unfair. And I can see now that actually, in my opinion, my personal opinion, it was just a ploy of the enemy to discredit a prophetic word to the church. Not to get down on Catholics or anything like that, but that there was something that we, ha- we hadn't quite achieved in the Reformation. And that quite simply was a recognition that whilst whilst uh, we might, we, we, we are sinners and sinners needing to be saved. I love that song of Samuel's, I'm a sinner saved. In addition to that, we can really look hard at the state of our hearts, the depravity of our hearts, the darkness in our hearts. Why? Because we have this Savior. Now, Religion today is a little superficial. It's focused on the love of the Father. It's focused on being embraced by God. And, and we know we, are, we need God's forgiveness for we have all fallen short of the glory of God. But what the Puritans did, they were so captivated by the glory of Jesus, so captivated by the extraordinary work that he had done upon the cross, that they had no fear of going deep into their hearts, the depravity of their hearts, the darkness in their hearts, because they had an answer. Whatever the condition, whatever the darkness, whatever the secrets hidden there, they had an answer to it, and that was the risen Christ. Thank you. You see, if, if your faith in Jesus, in your faith in God is simply that, oh yeah, God loves me, I know he loves me, I've always known he loves me, you know, that's great. That's a great place to start. That's a 12-year-old's understanding of where God is. But the truth of the matter is that the reason the Son of God died was because sin is serious. That our sin is in danger of destroying not just ourselves, but our families and our world. And we see that working out. So the Puritans said, yeah, we got that much. But actually, we need to take it like that. There is nothing that we can exclude. And so they, they, they had this reputation for being, you know, uh, very dur and all the rest of it. Now, if you read this, if you dip into this, The Valley of Vision by Arthur Bennett, you will find some wonderful prose, some wonderful poetic prayers about every aspect of Christian life. You will also find some things that are quite difficult. I, I find, and I did find, as I began reading it, it quite difficult. Some of the sort of uh, self-deprecation. Um, you know, oh, I'm a terrible sinner, and you know, 
I need to be beaten with flails and all that kind of stuff. It was hard reading. And in fact, if it hadn't been for the, the Lord just sort of setting me up with this, I would probably again just put it down. Oh, yeah, that was them. God bless them, you know. But what has happened in me as I've read this and meditated over the last few months about it is I've, I've realized that God wants us to understand not just the seriousness of sin and how terrible it is, but also that we can now face anything because of what Christ has done on the cross. You know, when you listen to, I don't watch, I haven't watched Love Island. I'm not going to ask for any kind of show of hands. But I do know this, and I suspect that this came out at some point, that our society, one of the big things about our society is shame and a sense of being judged. So a common refrain amongst people who are not believers said, well, don't you dare judge me. And they think Christians are hypocritical. Don't you judge me. That's the thing. They are carrying a burden, truly a burden, of guilt and shame. And so for them, you know, for the world, we, we run from reality. We hide ourselves. We hide from God because we cannot bear the reality of who we are. They had something in common with the Puritans. The Puritans knew who they were but they have an answer in Jesus. Now, this, is not, this isn't like this is a new gospel. This is the gospel we preach here and have always preached here. All that is really happening and all I'm really sharing with you is let's get to know God better, not just as God the Father, but as God as God. And let's understand more about his nature and how he sees sin. So, I'm going to just do a brief Bible study out of Hosea 11 where we will see something of the character of God coming through, both the tenderness, but also the holiness, all in the space of one brief passage. So if you've got a Bible, please turn, it, uh, turn up to uh, Hosea 11 with me. If you haven't got a Bible and uh, you know, a new Christian, please ask at the welcome desk. We would love to give you one. Uh, turn up on your smart devices or whatever, but it's, it's uh, Hosea 11. And I'm going to read this in the way it's written, in a, with a kind of a dramatic edge to it. So I'm going to make it like a dramatic reading. Father, come. Holy Spirit, help. The Lord says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You know, they were slaves and God rescued them. Out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. They burnt incense to images. And yet, it was I who taught Ephraim, another name for Israel, to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek and I bent down to feed them. Now that speaks to me. I've got two grandchildren under nine months and we're always lifting them up and holding them to the cheek. And they are sweetie pies. When Israel was a child, 
I loved him. I led them with cords of human kindness. And I was like one who lifts the child up to the cheek and nuzzles and cuddles. That's God's heart. That's Father God. That's the Father God that we pine for, we long for the revelation of God. His fatherhood. Jesus called God Father. But then, it almost cuts across like that. Verse 7. They will return to Egypt. And will not Assyria rule over them? Because they refuse to repent. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their dreams. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, it will by no means exalt them. See, God is not just Abba, Father. God is a holy God. When those whom he pours out blessing upon, those whom he, he, he woos with loving kindness, those who, who actually receive in some measure that love and that kindness, us. If we then pull away and say, you know, th- th- thank you, God. <laughs> you see, I have, a, I have older grandchildren, and I'm always wanting to give them kisses. And they're at the stage where they go, yeah, Thanks, they call me Papak. Thanks, Papak. Yep, yep. I want to go and do Lego now, please, you know. If the child pulls away, but doesn't just pull away, but actually goes and worships other things, gives their lives to other things, pours out to other things, that not only hurts the heart of a loving father, but offends offends a holy God. One of the great sermons that actually launched the uh, great awakening in America, that's an extraordinary revival, when Mark's been talking a bit about revival, was by uh, Jonathan Edwards, famous Puritan writer. And you know what the title was? This is really grab you. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Wow. We're always looking for snappy titles. That one's pretty memorable. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. You see, what God has done is that he, he's embraced us as a father, but we haven't understood, we haven't always understood that he's a holy God. That's why I love that song we were singing, Holy, Holy. I wanted to stay there. And something that God is doing in this church, and I'm sure in the nation, he's actually drawing us closer in terms of intimacy and affirmation, so we're knowing more of the love of God like that. But also, he wants to inform us that he's more than that. Last little bit of this reading. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboi? My heart is changed within me. He loves them. He's full of wrath. But his heart is changed within me. My heart is changed within me and all my compassion is around. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God, not man, the Holy One among you. Church, 
We've got to wrestle with this. God wants to reveal himself in greater measure as our Father, he does. Possibly one of the most important things you'll learn. But know this, he's not like any father you may have ever known. I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. This father you reach out to and I reach out to. This father I want to embrace. This father I want to yield to and not pull away from is not man but God, the Holy One among you. Application, what does that mean? It means it's time to get real. All those little secret sins, those little things we do, those little things we're drawn to, those little articles of affection, the Bible calls them, that draw us away from God. It's time to repent. It's time to leave these childish things behind. It's time to draw close to a holy God who nonetheless wants to reveal himself to us as Father. What a privilege. What a God. I'm going to have the band come up, and as I wrap this up, I want to read a familiar passage to you. Because it's when you begin to understand, as some have said, and I'm not sure how comfortable I am with it, the God of the Old Testament, and realize that that is God. He is God. The God of the Old Testament, full of wrath and indignation against sin, is God. Once you realize and embrace that, the gospel becomes all the more wonderful. The fact that when Satan comes and condemns you and judges you and others judge you and say to you, you know, you're proud and you're hypocritical and you're this and you're that and all the, you're the other, you can say, yep. Instead of saying, don't you judge me, who do you think you are? You can say, yep. Why? Because there is an answer and his name is Jesus and he takes all of that there's no need for shadows. And the Puritans understood this. They didn't want a little bit of God, they wanted all of him. They didn't want a little bit of religion, they wanted true religion. They didn't want a little bit of God's affirmation and well done, they wanted all of it. And they came to realize in a profound sense that it is our secret sin, that hard stuff, that keeps us from that revelation. Let me read this little passage. Why don't we just stand as I read this? Thank you. Father, we do right to call you Father. And we want to grow up. We want to go beyond what we have known. And if that means that we have to embrace uncomfortable truths, inconvenient truths, things that we don't like. Help us, Lord God, to remember that you are God and not man. And we would have you be yourself among us. Let the people say amen. Amen. We would have you be yourself among us. Not our version of a Christian God, but your, yourself, Lord. We know that we're safe in that light 
whatever it throws up, whatever your Holy Spirit brings to mind, whatever is uncovered, we are safe because of what you, Lord Jesus, have done upon the cross. Paul put it this way. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, he will also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one has the right to condemn. Because Christ Jesus who died, it is he and he who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God, it is he who is also interceding for us. Who then, in the light of anything and everything, shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? None of these. No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You are safe. We are safe. Doesn't matter who you are or what you are. Whatever darkness you've been in, whatever darkness has been perpetrated against you, whatever darkness you have committed, there's no need to hide. It's time to come out of the shadows and confess these deep, dark, terrible things to a holy God who loves us and gave himself for us. And everyone said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to say thank you to you for this truth. Thank you for the old Puritans. They were despised. Why? Because they understood that true religion is not superficial. True religion advocates strong love. True religion means going with Jesus to the cross. True religion means laying down before him our burdens, our shame, our guilt and walking free as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And everyone said,